0: Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, welcome to summer. <laughs> Amen? Everybody excited about it? Yeah, I love it. I bring it on. Bring on the heat. Good to see everybody this morning. We're um, we're finishing up um, our series on overcoming, um, and we've been going through the whole book of Philippians. And I just want to give you just a... It's interesting, as Paul wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, um, as we've been going through chapter by chapter through this book, it's it's amazing the tone in which... Um, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, this letter because he he faced so many trials and difficulties in his life and he actually writes this letter from prison. And you would think that um, someone that's writing from prison and all the things that Paul went through, that, that the tone of his letter would be really discouraging or that he would really be down. But, but his letter is so encouraging to the Philippians and they stood with him during his imprisonment and they um, loved him through that, and they prayed for him and it was a very encouraging letter and what 's interesting about this letter is uh, this is the first church that Paul started in um, Europe, and ten years had gone by since he wrote this letter in prison since he first started the church and what 's really interesting, you can read about uh, this uh, church being started in Acts chapter sixteen, but uh, ten years had passed since Paul started the church and his first convert was a businesswoman named Lydia, who was the seller of this expensive purple cloth. And um, in the foundational days of the church, uh, Paul, actually, when he went there traveling on his missionary journeys, casted out an evil spirit from a fortune-telling slave girl, which the owner didn't like very much because um, this took away his income. And so there was all this controversy stirred up about Paul and Silas. And so they were thrown in jail because this was a source of this man's income. And when they were thrown in jail, they were flogged. They were put in, in stocks and basically left there to die. And then while he was in uh, prison, an earthquake shook the foundation um, of the jail. And the, the, the jail, the prison doors were open um, and he was able to go free. Uh, the jailer, uh, knowing that these prisoners were going to go free, was going to kill himself. And so Paul said, "Wait a minute! Wait a minute! This is this is a God situation." So he led the jailer to the Lord, and the jailer's whole family came to the Lord. Isn't the Bible fun? This is this is cool stuff. This is people are saying, "I need to read the Bible more." I didn't know this stuff happened in there. And and this is so Paul he he's. He's reflecting back and he's writing this letter. And and, and this is how the church got started. And so this church, 10 years later, is still going. Paul is encouraged. Paul is in jail again for his faith in Christ. But he takes this opportunity to share his secret. And this is how he finishes the letter. He kind of just shoots these little things to them saying, hey, here's here's what you need to look at. Here's how you keep your life on track with Christ. Here's how you don't get sidetracked away from the Lord. And he, he ends in this last uh, chapter of his letter, and he gives them the secret of contentment. And I think one of the things that every single one of us struggle in our lives is overcoming discontentment. How do I, how do I have a heart that's content with, um, with what's happening in my life? Because it's so easy to get discouraged, and, um, and and to lose focus, and so uh, I want I want you to look in your Bibles. You can look at the screens in your Bibles. Philippians chapter four. We're going to look at verses ten through thirteen, and we're going to look at Paul's secret for contentment. And um, my prayer for you today is that this would just encourage you. Um, that this would. Uh, help you in your times where you just feel like, to, to, you know, why aren't things going my way? Or why don't I have this thing? Or why didn't this thing turn out in my life? And uh, Paul gives us some incredible words here to hopefully encourage us. And starting at verse 10, it says, Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And I am not saying this because I'm in need for I've learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether in plenty or in want. Verse 13, I can do everything or all things through him, through Christ, who gives me strength. Lord, I I pray today that we would find our security, that we would find our sufficiency in Christ and Christ alone. And I pray, Lord, that the things of this world would, wouldn't grip our hearts to the point that we lose our focus of you and what you've done for us, Jesus. So I pray, God, that you would just speak to us through your word. Thank you, God, that you are so good and that you meet our needs in so many ways. And so, Lord, help us to be thankful today for what you've done for us. Open up our hearts to, to receive your word, and we thank you for it today. We just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name, and all God's people said. I was reading an article not too long ago. It was very interesting. It was written by a young woman, and the title of the article was um, basically talking about this "enough" syndrome that she felt like she never had enough, and, and 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 it's kind of this "enough" disease. Like, do I have enough? And 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 she she. In her life, in her pursuit, in in pursuit of college, and a career, uh, she always said to herself, I want to have enough money. Um, I want to have enough success. Um, I want to attain enough security. I want to feel enough love and happiness. And then the person, this young woman writing this article, came to the conclusion, she said this, and I quote, she says, I remember graduating college and wanting nothing more than to earn more money so I could experience more in life. I wish I had enough money to travel. I wish I had enough money to go to the grocery store and buy whatever I wanted. I wish I had enough money to feel comfortable. I never clearly defined what enough money was. And at the time, it was just more. And that was four years ago. And now I earn 72% more today than I did when I had those thoughts and still, I find myself thinking, I wish I had enough. See, what, what's the problem with the enough disease? Well, the problem is we never have enough, do we? Or someone always has something more than we do, and we think, wait a minute. They have more than me, and, and they seem happy, and maybe I should get that. And, and so we all know that, that advertisement does this, right? They always tell us it's new And improved. And for 1995, your life will be changed forever. Call now. And if you call now, we'll throw in the bamboo steamer, the Ronco record cleaner, and the Ginsu knives, right? Because they still have those somewhere. Some of you have those in your basement, your garage, and you know it, and you like them, and they were good products, right? Um, If you still have records to play on a record player. But, um, you know, it's this... They're, they're appealing, and the advertisement understands this. They're appealing toward discontentment, that they're, they're, there's never enough. There's something better, something that's going to make us feel better or be more happy or content. And I believe this girl's article hit the nail on the head. And Paul, in, this, in his letter, in this last chapter of his letter, tells them, listen, I'm not writing you because I'm necessarily in need, because um, you've supported me, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But I want to let you guys know that I have found the secret of contentment, that whether I was in prosperous and I had much or I had nothing, I found the secret of what it meant to be content with much or with little. I found that, that place. I found that pocket where I can be secure that, that I can find joy and happiness in that, whether in plenty or in not. Now, if we're honest with ourselves today, we all find ourselves, including myself, struggling with contentment. And, and an article stated, I read another article on contentment, and it, stated, it said, not until you turn 74, they said, I don't know where they got this from, uh, maybe through research, but they said, not until you turn 74 that you will find contentment. Until you turn 74. Any of you people over there would say amen? Is that true? I, you know, uh, That's interesting. Um, but what's at the root of the struggle? Because this is what I want to get at. Is, is, it just, is it just the world we live in and the products and new and improved? And is, it, is that what it is? What, what, there's a root to this problem. There's a root to this struggle. And the, and, and, and the girl writing this article was trying to find the root of her struggle, and she obviously w- was, was not finding it. Well, what is the root to the struggle, the disease of enough? Um, the, the real struggle is not necessarily our jobs, you know, our, our bank accounts, or whether or not we have enough stuff. Um, the root of our struggle is is a lack of trust, and, and I think Paul understood this. Um, it's our trust in God, and if we look at Paul's life, it makes no sense to us that he could be content with the circumstances that he was faced with for years. And not, you know, live in a very difficult life. Now, let me just give you a couple passages here. Three examples in the New Testament. Some were written by Paul. Um, one was written by the Hebrew writer. But let me give you a couple passages here in the New Testament that talk about contentment. 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecution, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Makes no sense, does it? Paul found it in Christ. 1 Timothy six seven eight. 8, Paul writing to young Timothy says this, For we brought nothing into this world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be what? Content. With that. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13, 5, he says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God said, here's the promise of God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You can be content that God is never going to leave you or forsake you. Now, I think if we're going to find the root of the problem of contentment, we've got to go back to the beginning of the book of Genesis. And we can see contentment before the fall at its best. You've got Adam and Eve. You've got them trusting God. You have them walking with God. They're walking with all his blessings. They're trusting God. And we see man created for what he was to be, content in God with all the things that God had given them. Everything was right there at their fingertips. And they had a relationship with God, a relationship with each other, and everything was the way it was supposed to be. They were trusting God. They had that relationship. There was nothing broken between that. It was, it was perfect. It was wonderful. What happened? Well, what happened was chapter 3. That's what happened. In chapter 3 in Genesis, man is tempted by the serpent. And, and, and what is temptation? Well, the temptation was the temptation of contentment well, isn't that interesting, Pastor Bard? Yes, it is very interesting. Because let's look at this. It was the temptation of contentment. And the word that the enemy, the serpent brought, that Satan brought was, is this hall? Isn't there something more? Now they have everything they need. And God says, look, the one thing you can't touch is that tree. Don't touch that tree. That's it. And then the servant says, well, Don't you think God wants to open up your eyes? Isn't there something more? And so now there's this temptation of contentment. And and so what happens is this seed of discontentment is placed in their hands, which ultimately would lead to rebellion. And so what they did is they, they partook of the forbidden fruit, and that contentment now is lost. And the funny thing is we don't have to learn to be discontented. It comes easy to us, doesn't it? It's natural. Why? Because of the fall of man, because of the curse that was brought upon all humankind because of Eve's fall. We don't have to work at being discontented. I like what Charles Spurgeon says. Charles Spurgeon was a famous preacher in London in the 1800s, and this is what he says uh, about, uh, about discontentment. Uh, and he says this. Let me quote what um, Charles Spurgeon says. I think it's excellent. He says... These words show us that contentment is not a natural propensity of man. Ill weeds grow apace. Covetousness, discontentment, murmuring are as natural to man as thorns are to the soil. As natural to man is as thorns are to the soil. We need not sow thistles and and brambles. They come up naturally enough. How many have a garden? I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, they just come up natural. You're like, where did that thing come from, right? They just, they come up and, and, and you know, they, you, you didn't sell them. They're just there. And that's part of the curse because they're indigenous to earth. And so we need not teach men to complain. They complain fast enough without any education. Those of you with children say, amen, pastor. But the precious things of earth must be cultivated. If we would have wheat, we must plow and sow. If we want flowers, there must be the garden and all the gardeners care. Now, contentment is one of the flowers of heaven. And if we would have it, it must be cultivated. It will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace by which God has sown in us. See, what was the issue for Adam and Eve and the devastating results that we see in Genesis chapter 3? Well, the serpent said to Eve, Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Isn't he trying to keep something from you? This temptation leads them to believe that they could be like God. To be in control is a temptation for all of us. It's a control issue that we think we can do a better God than God. And so underneath this discontentment is this pride in this lust, in this greed, to want more, and to feel like this is the thing that's going to satisfy us. Um, I can remember when um, my son Wesley, is going to be a senior next year, but when he was about five or six, um, um, a couple of times the ice cream man came around our block. And, our, you know, your kids are like, can we get an ice cream? You know, can we get, you know, and I'm like, you know, you tell him, no, no, not this time. And so I think Gram and Grandpa gave him like five dollars to get an ice cream. So he had the thing on his on his dresser, and he was ready for any time that ice cream man came by. He was ready, and listening for the music and the bell and whatever else. And it's summer, and sure enough, the 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 ice cream man is, is ice cream person was coming by, and we had this screen door that was in the front that we could open up, and. Um, the ice cream man came by, and he ran upstairs, Guys, but he was late. The, the ice cream already was starting to go by our house. And so he runs the front door. He grabs the front door, but it's locked, and he can't get the screen door open. And so what he does is this little 5-year-old kid, 6-year-old kid, goes into his Chuck Norris, his Bruce Lee, and just kicks... Boosh! Kicks the whole front screen open, knocks it out, runs out, and he's running down the street with his five dollars, saying, "I'm scared of him! I'm scared of him!" I am scared of i do not even remember what happened next because all of a sudden I'm like, "What just happened?" And like, you want to be mad at him, but it was just the—I f- wish I got it on video because it was the funniest thing in the whole world. I just couldn't be. We have this destroyed screen door, is mangled. Chuck Norris. He did his Chuck Norris on but he had to get to that. There was this, <laughs> I thought to myself, when I was thinking about this message, I just thought to myself, you know, when, we, when, when this need, like we think that if I just had this, right, if I, and I don't want anything to stop me from, from getting this thing, and if we're not careful... It, it, it could actually rob us from something that God is trying to teach us in that situation. And sometimes God's saying, listen, it's not that I want to keep you from having things. It's not that I want to keep you from having an ice cream cone, right? Are you hearing me? Let's just talk amongst ourselves this morning, okay? And sometimes we think if I just... And God's saying, listen, maybe it's just... Maybe I'm trying to teach you something here. Maybe I'm just trying to teach you... you, know, you to me, sometimes... The greatest contentment we can show in our lives is that when we can have something, we say, you know what, I'm going to wait on that thing. Even though I could, I'm going to wait because God, I, I just want to wait on you. I want to hear from you. I, I don't want to get caught up in, in this, this, this thing of, of thinking that these things are going to make me feel better or they're going to give me more joy. And I think Paul even said, Paul said, listen, I lived both sides of the fence. I had a lot, and there's times that I had little. But whether I had a lot or I had a little, I, I found this pocket in the Lord where I could find his peace and his joy. And I could know that God is for me and not against me, that, that God is with me, that he's providing my needs and I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to allow that thing of wanting more of discontentment to drive my heart. Lord, I don't, I don't want that. I want you, Jesus. I want you to drive my heart. So, so how do we battle against discontentment in our life? Well, I want to go back to Spurgeon's quote. Because what he says is this. He says, we must cultivate contentment in our hearts and so how do we cultivate contentment in our heart? It's something we have to work at. How many know that's something we have to work at? How many know that's something we have to guard our heart? How many know that if you garden, um, you have to work at it? Well, you have, especially if you have a vegetable gardener, you have to work at it, right? You have to weed it. You have to cultivate it. You have to water I mean, there, you've got to work. You just don't stand back and say, okay, there you go. Have fun. I'm a, you know, I want this beautiful garden without doing any work, right? It's work. A lot of people do it for a couple of years and they fill their gardens in, right? Because <laughs> it's a lot of work. And they're like, I'm done with it, right? Uh, so, um, how do we do this? How do we call it, to it? And I think Charles Spurgeon gives us a good thing to think about. And, and, and I just have three th- quick things for you um, that, that I believe can help us that I think uh, Paul, we can see in some of Paul's writings and some of Paul's letters that helped him. And then obviously reciprocate that from himself to us so that we can um, learn from this. So let me give you a couple of things. Here. First of all, in order to, to help us to cultivate this contentment in the Lord, is first of all, we gotta, there's a couple of things. There's one thing we have to stop, and there's two things we have to be. So we're going to stop first, and then there's two things we have to be. So Paul's saying, stop doing this. And then we have to be this. So what's the first thing? The first thing I want you to see is we've got to stop comparing. Stop comparing. Now, I want you to notice something about Paul. He never compared his life to others. I love what he says here in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Because there's a little brouhaha going on between uh, a different speakers and who spoke more eloquently and who was better and who do you follow? And I follow Paulos so I follow this person. And Paul's saying, wait, 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 let's time out here. Let's not get caught up in the popularity race. And I love what he says here. He says in Second Corinthians, he says, we do not dare classify or compare ourselves with someone who commends themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are are not what? Wise. wise. So let's take this. The moment we compare ourselves with others, we are not wise. Why is that not wise? Because you can always compare yourself with someone who is less or doing less than you are, and it makes yourself feel really good, doesn't it? But then someone else comes along who does a much better job. And it, 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 there, it, I, I, there couldn't have been a more perfect illustration of this than... Um, uh, Wesley, had a, their baseball team got into the sectionals. and the first sectional game for baseball, they won 20 to zip. And we're just riding high. 20? Wow, this is a good game. I love watching baseball. Baseball, to me, is like getting my teeth pulled out. Okay? Because it's just long. And some of these games go on for three hours. And it's, you know, you've got to wait. Basketball and football are much more exciting. Baseball takes some work to watch. I'm sorry, you baseball fanatics. Patience with baseball. Okay? Um, once in a while, it gets exciting, right? And you're like, wow, this is an exciting one. Most of the time, it's bring a book and read. But anyway, so 20 to zip, first game. Next game, we play, and you're all excited, right? And you're thinking, man, our team's pretty good. We could go all the way. 20 to zip. First game, of the sectionals. Two hitter on our pitcher, great. Next game we we lose twenty seven to three, what happened? What, what just? What happened? Right? And so you're here, and then you compare yourself to the next the first game. You think you're you know you're, you know you're going all the way. The next game you're like, man, we don't even belong in this league. What's going on? Right? That's what comparison does. We're not wise. Paul hits it on the head. The moment we compare our lives with others is the moment we become dissatisfied with what we have. Or, or catch this, catch this, catch this. Not only do, do we, we can become dissatisfied with what we have, but we can become dissatisfied with who we are. Right? Paul says, I'm not going to play that. Paul says, listen, because think of Paul. He could have looked at his life and been so discouraged because he could have looked at the other preachers or pastors or and say, man, they're not in jail. They got big congregations. Look how weird they're doing. And I'm sitting in jail here. What's up with that? But Paul didn't compare himself to others. He said, God, this is the road you're leading me on. This is where you're leading me. This is what you're doing. Um, God, I'm content in you and what you have for me. I'm not going to look over the fence you know, We always say the grass is always greener on the other side, right? Until you have to mow it, right? Just remember that. you got to take care of it. you got to mow it. It's always greener, right? So let's be careful. So we've got to stop comparing and find our contentment in the Lord when he has for us. Okay, now, so, the, okay, so you say, okay, so how can I become proactive in cultivating contentment in my heart? Well, here's two B things that we can do. First of all, Paul tells us that we should be thankful. And this helps us so much. Be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in some circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Right? No, what does it say? Give thanks in all circumstances. Hmm, give thanks in all circumstances. Um, didn't Paul just say that whether, right? Second Corinthians 12.10, for the sake of Christ, that I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Is Paul giving thanks in all circumstances? Those are probably the worst circumstances to be in. And what is he doing? He's giving thanks. 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks. So how do we do that? Well, I think what we first need to do is give thanks for what we do have. And it's amazing when we begin to give thanks for what we do have, we become less concerned with what we don't have. Give thanks for what we do have. And it's amazing how we become less concerned with what we don't have. See, another thing happens when we're thankful, we begin to appreciate our lives in a new way. When we pray and we thank God for our spouse, thank God for your job, thank God for your car, thank God for your health, thank God that he's given us air to breathe, it's amazing how our hearts begin to change and they become content in the things that he has given us. And I know this is something that always, God always restructures my heart on every missions trip that I go on. It's not just going on a missions trip and seeing going to another country or going to a developing nation and see that obviously in many ways they have less than us. What always, what always recalibrates my heart is when I go and see how content they are with Christ. And, and for us, the things that we do have, and it's like, wait a minute, God, recalibrate my heart because it's not the things that bring joy or happiness. It's Jesus that does those things not the things. and God always recalibrates my heart's because recalibrates my heart because I see the joy in the people of God and what they do for the Lord and uh, in the midst of of, of uh, where they're living and so on and so forth and 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 man, many of it is very a, a simplistic life and but yet there's a contentment and joy of what God is doing in their hearts and it's, it's good to be recalibrated so when we give thanks for what we do have it's amazing that we begin to have thanks for what God is doing us, and we become less uh, concerned with what we don't have. I love that about the Lord, that he does that into our hearts when we become thankful. And so I think think we need to implement that thankfulness into our prayer life. So here's how you would do it in your prayer life. Um, many times we go to prayer and we have our petitions and we have our list that we go before the Lord. And that's fine. We should go to God with our requests. We're told to do that. But I think when we go to the Lord, let's, let's go to the Lord and say, God, before, before I bring you my list, before I bring you my concerns, and God wants us to bring his concerns. He says to cast all our cares upon us because he cares for you. But I think a way to cultivate this contentment in the Lord is when we come to the Lord, let's just thank him. Say, God, thank you for this day. You know, thank you for our, our nation. Thank you for those that have, you know, thinking about Memorial Day weekend, thank you God for those that have given their lives that I can, man, I can worship in church today because of the freedoms that we've been granted for those that have given their lives. I was doing some research on the different wars that, that the United States has been in and since you know, the Gulf War and the war on terrorism, 7,000 men and women have lost their lives. 7,000 men and women have lost their lives. And, and I think we can tend to forget that there's a war going on today. Thank you, God, for those that are putting their life on the line against terrorism and, and so on and so forth that, that God, we can, um, we can be free to worship you today. Thank you for that, God. God, thank you that when I go to my refrigerator, there's 14 different types of mustards that I can pick from, right? I mean, we, we have so much. And so let's just be thankful. Just When you go to the Lord in prayer, just thank Him. Thank Him for all these things. And this will melt the discontentment in our hearts. It will melt it away. And so let's be thankful. So let's 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 be thankful in in our, in our prayer life. So we 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 stop comparing. We give thanks, and then the last thing here is we just wrap it up. Is I love this. this is when God showed me this principle in my life, it just broke me. And and I think this more than anything else. And Paul talks about it so much in his letters. But I think this more than anything else will break discontentment or the need or, or the disease of enough and that's be generous not only not only stop comparing and be thankful but be generous i love what paul says in second corinthians 8:7 he says but you excel in everything but since you excel in everything and he, and he's writing this to encourage the corinthians he says when you excel in everything in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in love that we have kindled in you, see to it that you also excel in the grace of what? Giving. Grace of giving. See that you excel in those things. And, and when we give and we're generous... Because of what Christ has poured into our hearts, the grace that God has poured in our hearts. And what Paul is writing to the Corinthians, he's saying, listen, the churches in Macedonia have nothing, but they're giving to the need to the church in Jerusalem. You have a lot, but, but you're doing some good things. But the one thing that you're kind of lacking in is this grace of giving. Excel in that. And I believe that the grace of giving and being generous breaks the discontentment in my heart. Because what has happened is God, through his love and his grace, when you know how much that you have been forgiven of and the debt that Christ paid for you, the result of that is, I have to be a giver. I have to give. This is in response the grace that you poured out into my heart, Lord. I have to be a giver. I can't hold on to these things because it 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 would show me that I'm not really thankful for the things that you've done for me. And so the automatic response is that we become givers. So be generous with what God has given you. Be generous with what God has given you. Because when I give, I break the hold of money that it can have on my heart. And Paul says this, that it's not money that is evil, it's the love of money that is. And so ultimately, Paul looked to Christ for his contentment. And Paul said this in verse 13. He said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now, I know that's a great verse to quote if you're playing sports or whatever, but that's, that's not what Paul is saying. It's not, you know, I'm Superman and I can leap buildings in a single bound, okay? I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> it's not what he's talking about here. In the context that Paul is talking about is Paul saying, whether I was in need or I'm in prison or I was in plenty, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That's the secret of contentment that Christ will give me his strength whether I have a lot or I'm in need. And see Paul didn't judge his life by his lack of things. See, many times in our lives when things aren't going our way or we're going through a health issue or we're going through things, sometimes we look at it as like God, what am I doing wrong? But why am I going through these things when so and so is not going through those things, right? Ever done that? You're like, why? How come, this, how come I have job insecurity and why am I going through this health thing? Why? And then I look at other people and why are they not going through the same things that I'm going through? And, 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 and I know those people are pagans, right? They're pagans. No, I'm just teasing, right? I know they're not living for the Lord. And they seem to have everything going their way. Their kids are wonderful, right? They have good jobs, right? That's not what Paul's saying. Couldn't Paul have easily have done that himself? Why am I sitting in prison? Why? What's this thorn in my side? Why am I dealing? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Stop comparing. Be thankful in all circumstances. Be generous with what God has given you. Guarantee it'll break the grip that discontentment can so easily place in our hearts isn't it great when you get to that point in your life where you can think about this where you're just like God thank you for this thank you for for, for what I'm going through God I, I don't know why I'm going through it but thank you I'm going to trust you through it and not only I'm going to trust you but I know your word is true that you're going to give me strength. I love this quote by Pastor Tim Keller. He says this, if grace, are you ready? If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. If grace has really changed our hearts, we don't ultimately care if life goes the way we want it as long as we have him. So is there an area in your lives where discontentment has taken over? This is where we can give it to the the Lord. And ask ourselves, am I comparing... Am I really thankful? I mean, really thankful for what you've done for me by your grace. And God, am I generous? Is my heart giving. Am I I giving the way you desire for me to give? See, these are all products and outflows from the grace that God has poured into your heart. Here it is. Are you ready? We're going to close now. We're going to close it up. The more you experience God's grace his undeserving grace in your heart and life. The more you experience the cross of Christ and what Jesus Christ has done for you, the more you experience his love, the more content you will be. The, the more you lock yourself in with a relationship with Jesus Christ and understand what Jesus did for you, the more you sense his grace and his mercy and his peace, the more discontentment takes its chains off your heart and its grip off your heart and your life. And the less you will compare, the more thankful you will be and the more generous you will be with your life. Cultivate that. Cultivate it. Cultivate it. Cultivate it. So the minute you sent yourself, right? I did it the other day. Pulling up to the light. Another car gets up next to you. I look over, wow, that's a brand new Subaru. No rust on that Subaru, nice, right Yeah. right? Lord, thank you for my Subaru, I love it. It's been a good car. It's never broken down on the side of the highway. It's got a little rust, but I love it. It's a good car, right? still got air conditioning air still works right God is good isn't he he's so good to us amen so this is what we're going to do we're going to pray and I I hope this series overcoming helps you if you missed any of the any of the eight messages make sure you go online or you can pick up the CD I, I, I hope I hope the Lord spoke to you through this message on overcoming things in our lives. Just Philippians is a great book. And uh, so my prayer for you today as we just close here today is I want to sing a song that just solidifies all the things that we've learned over the last couple months. And I love this song that, that says that nothing can separate us. Nothing now can separate us. And, and so realize that in your trust in your walk with the Lord, just realize it's a matter of trust. It's a trust issue. God, I'm going to trust you. Even though I don't see these things going my way, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe. I know Christ is for me. I know he's not going to leave me. You've got to put your full leverage on that and trust the promises of God, that he's faithful, that he's true. And this is what Paul reiterated, chapter after chapter after chapter. Just trust the Lord. Put your hope in him. He's there. He that began a good work, is faithful to complete it. He's not going to leave you or forsake you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. So put your full leverage and your full trust in who Christ is and what he's done for you. And you will find a joy and a contentment that you could never find in this world. That's why I love Jesus so much, because he's perfect in all his ways. Amen. So, Lord, as we just um, close this time together in this this study of the book of Philippians, I pray that, God, you would just continue to encourage us. Thank you you for your word and just being able to glean from it and learn from it and and understand that, that, God, you have so much for us if we just lean on you, leaning on that everlasting arm. God, help us to to trust you even when we don't see it or things don't seem like they're working out our way, let us realize that no matter what the circumstance, whether in need or in plenty, Lord, we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. So when discontentment begins to creep into our hearts and our lives, God, let us realize that, Lord, you are there. Help us to not compare, to be thankful and to be generous, to cultivate to cultivate contentment within our hearts. So thank you, Jesus, that you've given us everything we need. Thank you for your grace and your mercy that you provide for us each and every day. So as we just finish this series and as we just celebrate that, you can, that you'll never leave us, uh, that nothing can separate us, God, may that just solidify in our heart to know that you are a faithful God from beginning to end. That you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And just let, let us put our full confidence in who Jesus Christ is. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. And we just ask these things in your son's wonderful name. Amen, 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 amen.